0: Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh Woodson-Croft. It's 2021 and hopefully it's the year that football gets back to being its brilliant best once again. Our first episode of the year with plenty to discuss. As always, Manchester City turn it on against Chelsea to remind us all that they're as good as anyone in the Premier League on their day. Sheffield United, though, show us they aren't quite getting better anytime soon. Are they a unique football? football in case. Elsewhere, Premier League players ignore coronavirus guidelines. What do you do with the Covidiots? And we'll also discuss the new PSG boss Mauricio Pochettino and the funniest football fails you can remember. To help me through it all, Tom Roddy, Matt Dickinson and Gregor Robertson. Hello guys and, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, yeah nice to be greeted in such a strong manner by only gregor while tom and matt just, <laughs> just look on it. it's okay Take guys. It, it happens often on this podcast i give it the energy i give it the big sell. i've got a big <laughs> smile and I'm, I'm greeted by a wall of silence it's I think it's, we it's need to raise plea. our hands
1: when we want to speak or something <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll blame it on Wi-Fi problems, Hugh. It just
0: dropped out then, I promise. I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully everyone had a a happy new year. Uh, Manchester City certainly did. Let's start with them. Um, Pep Guardiola beat Frank Lampard's Chelsea three goals to one at Stamford Bridge. And Gregor, tactically, I'm most interested in what Manchester City did during this game because I'm not really sure what the secret to the win was. The first 15 minutes or so, it seemed like City... Who were much changed due to positive COVID nineteen tests. They looked a bit clueless. Five minutes later, they looked like the best side in European football. What happened?
1: Do you know I was thinking after the game that um Pep's interview, rarely is he kind of very illuminating. He never looks like he wants to be there. But I've I've not seen him that happy in a in a post match interview for a long, long time. And he's quite illuminating too. He was talking about he used the word tempo so many times in rhythm. And you could kind of swap that swap those words for mojo it looked like they got their mojo back they just he's talking about they have to make a thousand passes playing with the rhythm and an intensity and and he was just delighted with what he saw and I think I think that was the main thing they were full of energy and they seem to they seem to just be moving the ball quicker than they have in a long long time and you know Pep also said they they don't have the 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 players to kind of play in, in transition like they perhaps used to Sterling's maybe one sani has gone um, so they can't play like other teams who are being successful at the moment you know we've, we've spoken before about how this is a season perhaps where you know energy levels are dropping and so team, for teams like City it's difficult for them to play but um, he's saying he's basically was doubling down saying that we have to play this way this is how Manchester City play, and this is us at our best. And the way we played two years ago, this was kind of the closest we've seen to it for a long, long time. And I think he's right, and I think you know other teams watching would be fairly will treat this kind of that performance fairly ominously.
0: Matt, what did you make of Manchester City? The way they controlled the game, and look, it's a chance I think for us to wax lyrical about Kevin De Bruyne because he was sensational, the Belgian. Um, but he played, as he described it, as a deep striker, which surprised many people. Not just that he played there, but that he was so successful in the role. Um, what did you make of
3: it? Yeah, I mean, I think he just proves that he's one of the most adaptable footballers we've we've ever seen in the Premier League. Um, he, he, I think, he said, you know, it took five ten minutes just to um, work out the role. It didn't sound like they'd had time to rehearse it much, um, but th- that's how good he is. And I, I think, like Gregor, I think just the. The movement um, was great to see the rotation that you suddenly see Bernardo Silva, you know in about five different positions. You see cancelo in about you know six different positions that there, there seemed to be this constant flux um, and but the speed with which it 's done and the interactions that it had done seemed to overwhelm chelsea i mean i 've seen Chelsea a couple of times over the holiday period saw them against villa where they were they were Sort of doing the ganging up down that left side. There was Mount and Pulisic and and Chillwell, um, and it was almost like the reverse was being happened. It was happening. They were being overwhelmed uh, at times by the movement and the speed and the precision precision of it. And yeah, I mean, as as someone who was sort of yeah, you'd never cross City off the the, the title list, but suddenly you were thinking, how in a minute? Why you know, when we were making predictions only a, a week ago. Um, yeah, why why was City not more prominent? Well, because we didn't see this coming. You know, this this is what they're capable of, but it's felt like a quite a while since we've seen it.
1: Pep even said that again. You, you know, usually, as I say, he doesn't say much in his interviews. But he said, you know, "No, no one was, no one's asked me this question for quite a while. You know, are you back in the title race, kind of thing? You know, no one's asked me that for a while. But that's oh, too soon. It's too soon. Of course they are. I mean, if they if they continue to play like that, then you know, th- that was Manchester City of old."
0: I mean, they were stunning at at times, but as I say, Tom, it was a a much-changed team. Gregor makes the point about City not being spoken about in the title race really prior to this. Um, But I think they showed in many ways the depth of their squad yesterday because they were missing a number of players and it was still a very, very good side that they put out. Backup goalkeeper Zach Steffen maybe would have had a couple of things go differently if he had the chance again, including picking up a back pass, which always makes you look like a bit of an amateur if you're a Premier League goalkeeper. Um, but but how much uh, are we reacting, Tom, to, to individual results at the moment? Because during this Christmas period, planning this podcast, it's sort of been, you know... Very much week to week, the picture has changed massively. We were talking about Chelsea's title races. You know, before that, we were talking about Villa. Now it's Manchester United. Now it's Manchester City as well. How much can we take from this result, really, when it comes to to City's chances?
2: It was just it showed the strength and depth, really, that they had. And and I think you said earlier, Hugh, that. De Bruyne's positioning surprised many people. I think most of all it surprised Chelsea um, and it reminded me looking back on it afterwards it kind of in hindsight of of springing a surprise on them a little bit because a, a kind of tactical tweak for a, a big game playing De Bruyne at, at false nine but it was, it was forced upon them. It was that false nine and that rotation of players that, that really threw Chelsea with each goal, with each opportunity they had the, the lack of a, a focal point up front they had no one to pick up every time Gundogan his goal he just slipped into space same with De Bruyne's. I mean Foden was just a, a brilliant piece of football but
3: it, it was it was it was Chelsea were just struggling to pick up those players I think the last—I mean, I remember we were talking about City a few weeks back, and we were focusing on on Rodri and and the failings in that position. Basically, that without Fernandinho there, that seemed to be the weak spot that other teams were exploiting, passing around them. I mean, it almost seemed to be that the the best means of taking away from you know, what still may be a potential weakness there was just to be so overwhelming of the other side, to be so on the front foot, to have such rotation of of. Of positions and and of the ball, that <laughs> there was almost no time for Chelsea to to exploit that. I mean, it's you know it's almost sort of throwing the accent back um, a, a different way, and rather than t- sort of trying to shore up that area, just to to to, to move the baller around so so superbly that it it it, w- it wasn't a problem. I mean, I I do think that is going to be you know if you, if they were playing a Liverpool or. Or, or, you know, a tough team in the Champions League, it would still be interesting whether Guardiola could could dare to take this approach and whether that would be back talking about that sort of holding position and whether Rodri really is the you know, the long term man for it.
1: I think that's right. You could talk about kind of tactical setups and systems and whatnot, but City just imposed themselves in the game far more than Chelsea did, and you know, in that regard, it's about them. Taking the initiative and as Thomas saying, finding the space and and you know making it difficult for Chelsea centre halves were like anonymous. They didn't have they didn't have anyone really to mark. So you're kind of that means that there's they're dominance in other areas of the pitch. Uh, and they didn't again. We, we talked about this last week. Chelsea didn't really do anything in the game to to counter that. And Frank Lampard kind of admitted as much, which I found quite quite strange. Um, and he's talking about a lot about on pitch on pitch decisions as if that was something that was completely removed from him Um, so look Chelsea Chelsea just Chelsea were just overwhelmed I thought and a lot of that is just the fact that City were completely at it and they were they moved the ball with such pace and purpose and they were just they took the initiative
0: I was disappointed with Frank Lampard, though, on the day and, and the way that he ran Chelsea's team because, as you say, and I was about to make this point, the two centre-halves of Chelsea had nobody to mark yeah. and they were being overwhelmed in other areas of the pitch because of it. And I was looking at him saying, look, you need to you need to change formation. When are you going to do it? You know, not necessarily even personnel, just looking at two centre-backs, they've got absolutely nothing to do. And there was periods where Chelsea couldn't touch the ball I mean, Manchester City just monopolised possession. And it was like, Frank, you need to change it now. This is where you earn your money. This is football management. Do something. And he he, he did nothing until the game was completely gone. And I was disappointed in that regard. And look, there are reports and there were reports straight after the game that Chelsea are planning for life without him. Um, how true those are, we don't know, Tom but we know how fragile the position of Chelsea manager is. Should
2: Frank Lampard be worried? Yeah, I think he should. Um, I think four wins, uh, four defeats in six games, you, you're bound to a club like that. I mean, he was there for, for long enough. He saw the amount of managers come and go there to to know that this isn't the kind of form that's that's acceptable, uh, a club like that. And And I think the amount they spent last summer um, as well, and, and the, the, the fact it isn't really working out for Verna so far. It's certainly not working out for, for habits, despite, you know, the, the, ha- contracting COVID really did impact him by the sounds of things Um, but I think February as long as they sort of arrest this form getting to February will be a key month for them because that's when you really sort of work out where your season's going what's possible and with Atletico Madrid in the the round of 16 in the Champions League if if they're out of the Champions League at that first knockout point and it's not looking likely that they're going to be in the title race then that's when I think you start to look at making a decision. He
0: did in many ways Matt Frank Lampard after the game. Map out what's happening at Chelsea in a, for me, surprising way. Firstly, he called it a rebuild. And he said there's going to be pain behind the scenes and on the pitch in any rebuild. Um, Chelsea were third last season. So unless, he, unless the rebuild is all about winning the title, he's currently eighth. I mean, it's it's a big drop off from last year, and that's not really how
3: a rebuild's meant to work. You're meant to sort of build something. Well, not after yeah, after spending all that money, as as Tom as Tom says. Equal, I, I take his point in the sense of you're building, and you know, you bring in Werner Havertz, you know, Thiago Silva. I mean, effectively, you're bringing in um, you know half a dozen guys who are sort of first eleven players. So that that is quite a lot to assimilate and certainly in in a few of those cases, Werner in particular, you've got someone who's, you know, all at sea at the moment, confidence gone, trying to play a new position, being shunted between a couple of positions. And yeah, just is, it's, it's been quite painful to watch, watch at times. I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I always just come back to this point of it's It's, it's a guy who is, he's learning on the job. He is, you know, and you could say, well, that's, you know, should you be getting the Chelsea job to be doing that? And that, you know, it's a fair question in itself, but I, I just don't think there's any doubts about it. He is, you know, experiencing things like yesterday that he, you know, might have experienced a bit at Derby County, um, but suddenly he's being faced with a. One of the top teams in Europe, overwhelming his. And you're right, he didn't respond fast. He didn't probably know what to do at that time. And you're thinking, again, should that guy be manager at Chelsea? But that's where he's at and he's going to have to learn some of these lessons pretty fast because... Chelsea, as we know, is is not a place known for its patience. Do you think uh, he'll be
0: worried about any of the reports over his future or having spent so much time with Chelsea, he knows
3: the game now enough? I, I'd be surprised. I mean, I think, you know, this is where, you know, I did a piece on it a, a year or two ago about the... the The most, uh, the LMA actually looked at the stats of longevity in management, which, as we know, is is famously short. But the one, the biggest sort of uh, indicator of whether you would get longer in the job was whether you had been a player at that club previously. It sort of it does give you, um, perhaps, gives you the job in the first place. Um, It also just gives you that little bit more. More time than you might otherwise get, and I, I think Lampard will be thinking that you know he's got this season to 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 prove that he he is learning those lessons that he can get um, some of these players functioning, and that he's got a chance to cling on. I, I don't think he'd be thinking he's going to get dumped in the next month or or two. But yeah, as Tom rightly says, that's 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 assuming that yeah you know, he stops the rot fair pretty soon. Alison Rudd, who's with us regularly,
0: talking about Lampard needing to find leaders very, very quickly. And Henry Winter, too, talking about Frank Lampard being schooled, as I think all of us saw. Um, Tony Cascarino has been talking about covid idiots, though, and that's what we're going to talk about next. Uh, But I should say it's a five-star review from me for uh, Pep Guardiola in Manchester City at the weekend, so we need a five-star review from you guys as well. Uh, Get online on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast provider you use. Make sure you're subscribed as well. You won't miss... The next episode uh, and of course if you're subscribed to the times and the sunday times you won't miss any of our great journalism as i say tony cascarino saying covidiots should be hit with three match bands and the reason i wanted to talk about this here was of course because one of those COVIDIATS is from manchester city pep guardiola making a defense of his defender uh, benjamin mendy um He basically said people shouldn't judge Benjamin Benjamin Mendy too strongly. I should bring you up to date uh, with the story. You know, Manchester City have been hit with a number of players out due to positive COVID-19 test results. Well, Benjamin Mendy uh, invited some people round for a New Year's Eve party. Let's call it that. There was a video that went out of him asking for um, certain guests to come over Um, But also Eric Lamella, uh, Giovanni Lacelso of Spurs, they tested positive after they were pictured. Um, uh, with a Christmas get-together with their teammate Sergio Reggion and West Ham's Manuel Lanzini, they subsequently have apologised as well. It's not just a Manchester City problem, this, Um, but Pep Guardiola's response is what I was really interested in because he basically said that people shouldn't overreact and they shouldn't be too judgmental of Benjamin Mendy and I guess other players that have done the same because People up and down the country in Pep's view have also been doing it too. And we shouldn't be hypocrites. Um, Matt, are, are bans a- appropriate, are fines appropriate to deal with these players? Or as Pep says, should we just sort of take a step back from this?
3: Uh, well, it's a, it's a really interesting one. This, I mean, I, I you, know, you find yourself thinking, well, on the one hand, you know, it shouldn't be happening. Uh and even more stupid putting it on Instagram, you know, putting anything out on social media. So there's the, you know, daft for doing it, double daft for advertising it, um, getting caught. I get, I get Guardiola's point. I mean, you know, uh, I'm certainly not about to jump on my high horse and say I've been perfect, but, I th- you know, he's right. People are breaking rules um, in all sorts of ways. You know, I, I know in my vicinity, um, i I probably shouldn't be naming names, otherwise I won't have any n- neighbours left. Um, <laughs> but you know I, I, you know, I know I know people who have who have flouted it, and you know, some in small ways, some you know, some in un- sort of vaguely understandable ways, others in blatant ways. So I I I think his point was badly handled because he should have also said that it's bloody stupid and irresponsible. I mean, I, you know, I get his point, but it should have been, it should have come with uh, a tone of this is not good enough. This is not acceptable. The issue of bans, uh, I, I'm a bit uncomfortable with for a cu- couple of reasons, not because I think, you know, they don't deserve punishment, but do we, does this really need to become the FA's problem? Um, I almost have a little sympathy with them with the fact of, you know, them. They're Meant to suddenly not just police the game but police sort of players, you know, doing staff things, you know, in, in their own homes. Um, if this is suddenly becoming a sort of FA p- sort of policing issue, um, I find that a bit sad. It should be down to the clubs. This is damaging their standings, potentially damaging their finances. If games get cancelled, it's damaging. Their you know bubbles the the way they can train the way they can operate, so you would like to think that uh the clubs themselves would you know take such a dim view of this that they would handle it internally now you know we've seen we've seen a life that clubs are full of self interest and sort of do what looks after them but i I would like to like to think that this these players would be given. You know, a rocket, a fi- internal fine, or whatever it takes from their managers, rather than making it a, a, an FA issue. Tom, really, what do you think? Fines and bans are they appropriate?
2: I don't, I don't think they they are. I think partly because, partly because of what Pep said. I mean, firstly, the first thing to sort of say is before Christmas, you sort of, I did anyway. I expected it. You were just sort of waiting for those first images of of players that had come together, partly because a, a lot of people were doing it. Uh, for me, the issue is is what Matt said is that the bar for this was set pretty low. In that all that the FA and the, the Premier League were satisfied were satisfied with was for the clubs to come out. And condemn what had happened with with the right tone, and so I, I was quite disappointed in the way in which Pep did go about talking about uh, describing um, Mendy's personality as a sort of defence for the actions. It, it, it seemed irrelevant to me. Um, I think it was it was it was very easy to deal with. You just say it's not acceptable, say it's not right. And and I, the difficulty is that you've got so many people who have been so severely affected by this and and couldn't see their family over Christmas and New Year's and see their friends. I think that's the real difficult part, is where people felt that they, they'd been so affected by it. So I think that's the problem.
0: Gregor Pep sort of pointed the finger at other people and said... Don't be hypocrites now. I know you've you've all been having parties as well. I found that very, very strange, a bit like Tom saying there. But he did say it was clearly wrong from Benjamin Mendy. But he also just said, you know, as Tom alluded to, he's a guy with a great heart. Don't judge him too much. You know, none of us are perfect, essentially, was the message from Pep Guardiola.
1: That's it, exactly. I, th- I was just going to say that I think, you know, it's come out of saying that he's really backing him. I don't... I, I... He could have been kind of harder and, and put the law down and said, look, this is, a, this is a stupid thing to do. And let's be honest, it's how premeditated these things were. I mean, to arrange, like the Spurs one in particular, and to arrange that do, <laughs> it's just kind of a beggars belief, really. Because, and I was trying to think to myself, you know, these guys are from different countries. Maybe they don't watch the news. Maybe the club, <laughs> they must know what's happening. The club. And Mourinho has doubled down and said it. They have to be making crystal clear what they can and can't do, and they just completely ignored it and made these extravagant plans. Um, so but coming back to Pep, I just think, I think exactly what you just said there. He was basically saying, Look, none of us are perfect, this is a difficult time. He's a kind of larger than life character, like we all love him. Um, but he's certainly flawed and none of us are perfect and I think if you look out in wider society there's a lot of other young guys like him who are doing this kind of thing I, you know I think that was his message but whether that was the right message or not I'm just not sure because I agree with Matt though I think he, the FA is not something the FA need to get involved in, the club should just kind of, the club should be strict with them though and they should be fine in them I think and they should, they should perhaps leave them out if they can, leave them out of the squad or leave them, you know, I know it's difficult times at the moment, those numbers, but it should be down to the clubs. It's not up to the FA, I don't think, to, to police this.
0: The whole episode reminded me of, I don't know if you've heard the the recording recently of Tom Cruise going absolutely ballistic at the sort of people working on the recording of Mission, Mission Impossible, the latest Hollywood blockbuster, basically saying to them in very, very strong terms, the industry depends on this film. And I felt a little bit like that, you know, like, are you looking at the wider impact of what you're doing in that people's livelihoods depend in this and their health? You know, you know, we're saying, oh, that you know, as if it's just a turn of phrase, Eric Lamella has got, Coronavirus. So is Giovanni Liscio. How many other people that they saw at Christmas did they spread coronavirus to? Who who else out of that group of people have they been seeing? How far has this transmission gone? You know, for me, it's like there's a massive responsibility for these players in terms of the industry, of course, but also the the livelihoods of people that work for these clubs. And the health of their teammates. Look at Alan saint Maximan and Jamal Lassell, long COVID at Newcastle United um, and the effect it's having on their careers. But of course, their health, you know, it's not just about being a footballer. You know, it's about being 60, 70 years old and and still being healthy at that point in time. Um, And I just, you know, I can't get my head around what these footballers have missed. From everything that's going on, and for me, if it's my club and it's not my club in this instance, but still, I'm a Premier League fan. And I'm a football fan. You know, <sighs> clubs never want to ban their own players for, from matches or leave them out or treat them like school kids. But does a two-week fine really do enough? You know, these players are regularly getting fined a week's wages or two weeks' wages for this, that, or the other. Particularly if you're Benjamin Mendy. So, how much will that really have an effect on your actions? What's so the alternative? Um, no, no. Well, for me, you know, I, you could leave them out for a game or two and you could find them a couple of weeks wages. There is no, you can't sack them fair enough. And it's interesting. Look, you couldn't sack people in a regular line of work. We wouldn't get sacked for it, although we'd be we'd be disciplined. I'm, I'm sure if we'd have had a, a New Year's Eve party for the game podcast and put pictures on Instagram, you know, the fact that it's incredibly stupid, the fact that it's incredibly stupid, um, is almost irrelevant in this case. You know, they're not seeing the wider implications of their actions.
3: Would you be banned for three podcasts for um, as you say? If you'd have been there for that, the world the world breathes a sigh of relief. Um, I'm off. I'm off the air. But no, I mean, yeah, in, in, in other working places, yeah, football football does come with this profile you know we talk about the responsibility of of i hate the phrase role models but yeah they, they, they do have a potentially bigger impact especially when they're stuck all over the front pages um with pictures of instagram but i i just do think the fa involvement just yeah it definitely doesn't it doesn't square with me just because i think it's sort of you know is this really becoming their problem as well i i I, I I thought you know Roy Hodgson struck a better tone. I thought of just being a thoroughly naffed off, um, you know, extri- you know, grumpy to say the least um, uh, about about a, a breach from from his squad. And I think yeah, these guys, these it just it should be reinforcing to managers that they cannot lecture their players too many times about this. They cannot lecture them too much about, as you say, just about basic health and safety but about responsibility first of all to their teammates and families about being sensible and but as you say to the wider to the wider world I mean that these managers need to be sitting down with their players almost every day and reminding them you know some of them will still be idiots because people are idiots every now and then but I just think yeah it should just I would like to think every club every manager has has sort of seen what's happened over the weekend and just thought right I need to scream and shout at these guys till they're you know till they're sick of hearing it from me
0: Tom would you agree with the proposition that the Premier League brings in some sort of new rule that says players who breach the coronavirus guidelines in a premeditated way we're not talking about you know the things you're allowed to do in terms of support bubbles etc you know if you have a party let's call it that five game ban or three game ban if the premier league brought in a new rule like that do you think that that would be
2: appropriate i don't i don't think they could really um, and i don't think they would, I think, if you know, it could be seen as bringing the game into disrepute, but I don't think they'd want to go that far. And I think they would want to let the clubs deal with it. Um, I think for me, it kind of reminded me of, of going back to that, the, the issue of seeing players on, on the front pages and be, missing out on things that they would regularly do or regular teenagers or young adults could, could do and and I think with this generation they've grown up knowing the indiscretions that they, they, they do have that kind of responsibility and that focus on them and you can't you, you have to make those sacrifices.
3: Uh, you know on the issue of it becoming an FA problem I mean you could already you know uh, imagine it that you know you have a, a a case like this and then you have you know you can't just you'd ha- you'd have to ask for explanations so then you're going to have Pep Guardiola doing character references left right and center or you're going to have a player saying oh well, I only did it because you know my I was visiting my sickly mother or you know or whatever and uh, yeah is the FA going to get bogged down in in case after case of that dealing with that That's, that that really shouldn't be shouldn't I, I say I get Tony's point I get in the paper I get his frustration I get the sense of you know Christ you know these guys need to, you know, wake up and have a good look at themselves. But the the idea, the idea that we sort of give the FA another kicking and say, "Come on, pull your finger out," I just, I, I, I just can't see that. That's realistic.
1: There's enough to be dealing with, isn't there, for all of them? I think we, the thing that <laughs> I'd be wrong to say it made me laugh, but it made me it, every time there's a game cancelled in the EFL just now. There's a statement released by the AFL that says this this game will be cancellation will be subject to an EFL investigation. And you're thinking, how many investigations have they got on the go right now? Because the games are falling left, right and centre. I think, you know, there's a lot of protocol, protocols to follow. There could be more cancellations in the Premier League. The FA have got enough on their plate. I think the players and the clubs need, need to take some responsibility. And hopefully after these indiscretions, maybe they'll learn that, you know, you need to toe the line now big if, but
0: imagine um, there's an outbreak at a club, a Premier League club, and the pitchers emerge that they all had a, a New Year's Eve party or someone has a birthday party in the next month and they've all been together, you know, 30, 40 people, you know, players and, and non-players, let's call it that. And then there's an outbreak at the club and it goes to the Premier League to, to see whether the game or not should be called off. W- what do you say then?
1: Postponement or forfeit? Oof. I don't I don't know, it would be there certainly would be a good argument for a postponement there. Yeah. Uh, sorry, for a forfeit. I think um it would certainly be one one occasion where you'd say if you've got fourteen fit players, even if they're in the youth team or whatever, get them on the pitch because the rest of them don't deserve to be on the pitch, really, that kind of thing. So look, that's a difficult one to answer and hopefully we don't have to we don't have to has to,
0: to. <laughs> it's going to happen mark my words it is going to happen and I will come back to you on that day um, because I, I don't think they're going to stop having parties let's, let's put it that way um, you're listening to the game podcast Hugh and Croft-Gregor Robertson Matt Dickinson and Tom Roddy with you today back in a moment uh, but a reminder for more award-winning journalism get yourself a digital subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times you can enjoy it across all of your devices sign up today you'll get yourself one month free go online search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to get started
2: cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com
0: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves Up next on the game podcast, it's Sheffield United. All you've got to do at this moment in time is say those two words and any football fan, I mean, it's just like code word for the the most negative thing possible because in a sad way, it's not going the way that football fans would want things to go for Chris Wilder and Sheffield United. They were beaten once again at the weekend at 2-0 by Crystal Palace. And Once again, they weren't out of the game, but they weren't really up to it as much as they've been in the past. Let's call it that. They are bottom of the table at the moment, just two points after 17 games. And yet, Chris Wilder doesn't really seem like his job is at massive risk. So are they, Matt Dickinson, one of, if not the most unique
3: cases in Premier League history? Uh, well, unique in the sense that they're going to break records on the current trajectory, aren't they? <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, two points. Uh, is it now from seventeen? Yeah, on that. I mean, it's that they are. They're going to go down as the least successful. And I'm trying. To, I'm putting that as the nicest way I can. least successful <laughs> Premier League side side ever. Uh, it's um. It's I think I. I think it's taken all, all of us by surprise, isn't it, that they're they're suffering quite so badly. I mean, there's some, um, you know, a couple of sort of obvious things to point to, aren't there? And, you know, Dean Henderson, you know, you lose, you lose a, a top, top class goalkeeper, um, Jack O'Connell getting injured. Um, but it's both ends as well, isn't it? I mean, Brewster, I'm right in thinking, hasn't scored, scored um, yet this season when you've, you know, Put a, a record outlay there, so it's 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 all in all ends of the pitch. Uh, Chris Wilder called his side naive at times.
0: Gregor, um, strangely, and this is the thing that I thought was weird. Uh, Eberechi Eze who I think is a fantastic player and who I watched at QPR, he's taken very well to the Premier League. <sighs> he walked the ball from inside his own half into the Palace box, into the back of the net. Uh, no real challenge, and afterwards. I think Ollie Norwood was saying, oh, we should have just hacked him down. And it was like, well, you didn't need to do that. I mean, you could have just defended the situation better and he probably wouldn't have scored. I mean, the idea that you need to be kicking through players left, right and centre to stop them from scoring from 15 yards inside their own half. You know, it wasn't an unstoppable George Weah run. Let's put it that way. What on earth is going on with Chris Wilder's Sheffield United that pretty much every goal they score... They could they could they could really avoid, and I know you could say that about any goal, but I don't think it's a world beater, is it?
1: I don't know if that's entirely fair. I mean, that, the because the first goal it was kind of there was a tackle and a deflection. and It felt kindly for.
0: Uh, it was extremely unfortunate. I'll give them that. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I saw that goal. <laughs> so, I saw that goal and thought, when it's not going your way, it's not going your yeah. way because they, they were two inches from making a tackle about four times in the build-up yeah, to that yeah. goal. Yeah,
1: and so uh, undoubtedly, yeah, the the Ezi goal as you know, as much as it was beautiful to watch and he glides across the pitch. You're right, Norwood, he skipped away from Norwood. And I think Norwood, there was one angle we saw in Norwood's kind of desperation. He was almost shouting to Ampadu to come out and, and sort of engage him. And that just allowed Ezzy the opportunity to skip past him and then nobody closed him down. So I think you have to give Eze a lot of credit for that goal. But I think the thing with Sheffield United, you know, a lot of the things have been said, as Matt said, O'Connell, I don't think you can underestimate how important that was because now you look at the team and last season, Sheffield United were strongest down the flanks. Ender Stevens on the left, Baldock on the right, and the way that they made combinations between, you know, Fleck on the left, um, and either Lundstrom or Norwood, whatever, on the right. And now, Stevens has to play left, left of the back three, so that means they're playing Ben Osborne on the left. Baldock wasn't playing on the right. The team just is one one injury kind of has, has had ripple effects through that team and it was that finely balanced for them because they've played the same system and the same way and they have relationships all over the pitch and they've had that for three years with the, with the whole team. So that's the first thing. Another thing is, is you know, again, it's been said, but I think nine of, the, nine of their defeats have been lost by one goal. Like they have been tight, and there's been and confidence saps, it drains. So it's been, I think, a kind of cumulative effect. They started the first game of the season against Wolves. They were two two down within six minutes or something, and they were chasing and chasing. And after that, really, there's only a couple of teams who beat them comprehensively, and that's with the lack of confidence. That's with the lack of goal scoring threat up front, and that's with a team that is. You know, it's it's much changed from last season. So, as I say, I think there has been kind of it's a cumulative effect. And you know, I did a piece just just around Christmas where the uh, you know the team they just beat the record of the worst start was was Sheffield United thirty years ago with uh, a team that Chris Wilder played in and uh, Dave Harry Bassett was manager of. And I think they they went sixteen games, their seventeenth game, they got their first win, and they had four points until that point. Um and they stayed up they finished 13th and I've still refused to I refuse to say that they are doomed I refuse to say <laughs> it partly because I joined a team Northampton Town. it wasn't and Chris Wilder just joined them as manager in January and we were at one stage I think we were seven points adrift it's not the same and it was League 2 it's not the Premier League Um and he completely he will he will do a lot of business this window I guarantee it he will he will try and shake up the squad. You know, he's tried to, he tried to do it kind of gradually and introduce younger players and whatnot. It's not really worked. He will shake up as much as he can and he won't give up. And I, I refuse to say that they are down and out yet.
0: 12 points from safety. Maybe Greg has opened the door to a reason why I was asking. It's such a unique situation because I can't imagine any other club that would have kept their manager, but they've got the, the history and maybe that's a reason why they feel like it's still possible.
1: But the other reason though, quickly, is that if they go down, who's better to bring them up and who got them there?
0: Well, I, yeah, I understand that argument, but there, I think there are times when you watch a team get relegated and you feel the confidence going away so much that you don't believe that, that the next year they're going to be any good either because Norwich. you're... Lo- you're you, yeah but yeah yeah but I but Norwich still tried to play oh, you're right okay I'll give you that because Norwich still play now the same way they played when they were relegated from the Premier League but I don't think they they I don't think they're falling out of the league in the same way that Sheffield United are at the moment. Um,
2: no, and, and Norwich also. Norwich went up and didn't invest as heavily as other clubs did, and have they have this mindset of being in the top twenty six clubs in the country. I mean, Sheffield United is a is a different situation because they totally overachieved last season and have completely underachieved this season. They've. Been, Presumably, they want to be somewhere in the middle throughout those two seasons, wouldn't they? Should he get
0: sacked, Tom Roddy? I know Gregor won't like me asking this question.
2: No, not at all. It's Valid point. No, I don't. I don't think so because of what he did last year, and I think you just, you just. I mean, I, I think when the when the when Billich got sacked. Um, I just, it made me think immediately to back to the day they got promoted, and and I was at that game, and you had the fans because of course they weren't allowed in the ground at this window singing his name, and and they weren't they weren't the most impressive side. They didn't necessarily deserve to come up to the Premier League, but it 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 was it's we all, we know it's a fickle business, but I, it's just you you kind of just want them to 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 turn it round and. I think because of what he did last year, it gives him, it gives him that credit to. Go again next year, but it's just—I mean, it's just—I think it's just such a pity because of last year, and it, it's just so puzzling. I mean, I think Derby had six points after seventeen games in the year when they ended with eleven. Um, it's it's absolutely catastrophic form. But what's interesting as well is looking back to last year. The, the, it was fine marg—it was slightly fine margins then. Their their top goal scorers had six goals. They, they, they didn't—they didn't have tons of goals in the team they just got games over the line
0: I wonder if Chris Wilder will keep his job I think he will I think he has that goodwill and I, I know we've spoken about it before in terms of where clubs want to be if Sheffield United are happy with this, then I'm I'm happy for them. But I'd love to see them get a few results because I actually think the way that they've stayed in games, you know, they warrant a couple of wins for their fans sometime soon as well. We'll see if Chris Wilder can turn things around at Sheffield United. Uh, another manager who's being charged with turning things around is the new Paris Saint Germain boss, Mauricio. Pochettino, the former Spurs manager, of course, he took them uh, to a Champions League, but he's been out of work since November of 2019 and he is back in the game. He's replacing Thomas Tuchel, of course, who was sacked by PSG. He joins uh, the French champions with them third in Ligue 1 and looking ahead to a last 16 clash with Barcelona in the Champions League. Now, Matt, for me, this was... One of the most pointless managerial appointments, from in my opinion, the manager's side of things, because it's it's as in terms of a big club, it's as lose lose as it gets. You win the league, no one cares. Doesn't make any a jot of a difference. You're meant to win the league, and obviously you're, you're expected to. Uh, you, you need to win the Champions League, or you'll pretty much be deemed a failure, as most of their previous managers have been for not winning it. So. <laughs> I don't think he's possibly got the squad to do that. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if he's even good enough to do that. You know, it remains to be seen what sort of manager he is um, in terms of this big level of club. But also I just wanted to see him in a, maybe a more competitive environment to help him progress. But this is just me. If I was his agent, I would have sent him to Juve or Real Madrid or maybe Man United, who knows?
3: (laughs) Can he win in this job, Matt? Oh, I think he can. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think, you know, for one thing, you get to work with, you know, better players than he's ever worked with before. You know, I mean, well, I guess, don't know how many, how many uh, months he'll end up working with Mbappe before um, another bid comes in from Real Madrid or or somewhere else. But, yeah, you've, you've got him and Neymar and Verratti and you've got some of the top, you know, players around. Guys who are, have reached a Champions League final and are, are capable of, of of you know hitting those heights so that's you know you've got a uh extraordinary caliber of players you're talking about you know a hugely ambitious club um that brings its own challenges i think if there was anything if i was his agent i would be mindful against It, it is the politics that's that's done for for thomas tuchel i think you know it's it's not a club where the coach necessarily has um the biggest say uh, about arrivals it's a club where you know we've you know, someone like Neymar is a sort of you're dealing not just with a player but a sort of one-man corporation and um all kinds of, of of complications that that Tuchel complained about that he was as much a sort of a diplomat as a coach at times uh having to navigate it so I, d- I don't think it's easy job like you say the the there is a another challenge that you're trying to win the Champions League while you know facing some non-competitive domestic matches. But that I, you know, I, I I can see why he's taking it. Put it that way, I think it gets him back at work in a high-profile club. It's uh, got the possibility of you know he wants to coach and you want to coach top players, and um, I hope he does well. I
2: think you, you said Hughes, lose lose. I actually, I actually felt the opposite. I felt like it was a win win for for Pochettino, really, because I don't think he'll particularly enjoy his time there when it when it does when it does come to an end, because you can you can predict it it would turn out the same way that that it has done for Tuchel that it did for Emery exactly as Matt laid out that it's you can win the league but the Champions League is is, is the Holy Grail and and whether they're they're good enough to kind of get that is is questionable and, and unlikely at the moment but the main question mark over Mauricio Pochettino was he's an excellent coach but can he win trophies and at, at psg it's it's almost a given if if he doesn't win the league then it's an absolute catastrophe, but it's likely he will so say he comes out of this in two years with a league title under his belt and he hasn't won the Champions League and he gets sacked for that. I still see it as a successful period for him because a major club in England still takes him
0: gregor what do you th- what do you think Could he have aimed? Maybe not higher, but in a different direction. Serie A, Arsenal. <laughs> no, Real Madrid. Let's be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> there were big there were yeah, there were big <laughs> clubs. There were I know PSG is a big club, but you know what I mean. There were huge clubs that that were interested in Mauricio Pochettino. Was it just getting back to work that was the main consideration?
1: I think probably it was, yeah. But I, I have to say I kind of agree with Tormen that you know, he's not won anything. That was all. <laughs> it won't be nothing to him. To nobody will care. If he wins the French league. He will. he will, definitely will. If he wins any silver with there, that will be a big thing for him. And you know, yes, winning the Champions League is the is the holy grail. But if he doesn't do it, that doesn't make him a failure. It might might cost him his job, but that doesn't make him a failure. And he will be working with. The thing is, it's you know, from it does seem a bit of an uncomfortable fit when you think of. What we've learned about Pochettino in his time at Spurs about it being, you know, somebody who really wants to build relationships and it's the collective and the team and you know that kind of those kind of human touch, those human instincts. That's what he thrives on. And he's gone to a club where it's all about the kind of these these individuals essentially. And when PSG succeeded last year and in get into the final, they seem to have kind of throw throw that off a little bit and they and they looked like more of a team. Um, so that's his challenge it's about fitting Neymar and Mbappe two of the kind of most individualistic talents in, in the world into a team and I th- you know I wouldn't imagine he's going to be someone who's going to indulge in their kind of if if they're not willing to do that so you know there, I, I, there could be some conflict there too and even that is a is going to be something that he's be a learning experience for him.
0: It's gonna be intriguing to watch, but I think the judgment will come down. Still think the judgment of Mauricio Pochettino's time there will come down to how they perform in the Champions League. And I think it's gonna be I still think it's gonna be difficult for him, but the way football's going at the moment, pretty much anything can happen. And they got to the final last year, so who knows? Who knows? Uh, pleasure to see him back in football though, because I think he is just one of those really great, nice guy managers who loves a project. And as I said before on the podcast, I love, it. I love a project. So really intrigued to see what he does. But I read newspaper reports today that Moyes Keane's going there permanently. So if he's starting up front, I don't necessarily think the Champions League is going to arrive anytime soon. Um, just before we go, guys, uh, we wanted to end on our funniest fails in football. I'll tell you why. I'm sure you saw it. Timo Werner of Chelsea managing to injure himself on the corner flag against Manchester City at the weekend. I don't 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 exactly know what he was trying to do, but uh, he hurt himself. So we thought we'd ask about uh, funniest fails in
2: football to end. Um Tom, I'm going to start with you. Funniest football fails, what do you think? Mine isn't sadly isn't something we, we actually saw, but it was a story from a few years ago. It was the start of the Champions League came, uh, campaign in 2017 and Madrid were playing Apoel Nicosia and they'd had a bit of a bad start to the season. I think they'd drawn against Valencia and it was Marco Asensio who was sort of coming to the, the fore at that time, this real talent ca- uh, coming to the fore and he'd scored the equalising goal in that game but he couldn't play in the Apoel game because he decided his leg hairs were a little bit too long had hacked at them with a razor and got his pimple infected so much that he couldn't lift his socks. And that for me was the the first major failure that came to mind.
1: I mean, I I have to give a personal one, I think in that um, playing a game for Northampton town against Wickham Wanderers a few years back and I'd been booked in the first half for a tackle, solid tackle, and uh, we, we were one 0 up. And I think there was about maybe seven or eight minutes to go, and uh, we got a throw in, and I was taking the throw in, and we were also trying to bring on a substitute, and uh, so the, the you know the fourth official standing on the side with a, with a board trying trying to put in the number and stuff, and the referee's like, "Take the throw in, take the throw and I was pointing to the. To the sub corner <laughs> and I kept, kept to and fro and he's like take the throw and I was like look we're bringing a sub on he's like, take the throw in. look and he showed me a second yellow card so I was I was uh, sent off for failing to take a throw in and uh, we conceded in like a 94th minute equaliser and to say Chris Welder wasn't happy afterwards is an understatement <laughs> so yeah that's probably my biggest fail in football
3: Matt I'm going to struggle to beat that one, I think. But uh, I, I have to actually, I have to go to my um, my pitch uh, where I play for uh, a super vets team over 50s. And um, I, it, so this is going to the right down the leagues to the very bottom. Um, but yeah, a mate of mine hadn't played football for more than five. He was over 50. He'd given up the game after he broke, um, snapped his Achilles. And after a lot of badgering, I said, look, you you know, this is great, you know. Get back into the game, feel like a kid again. So he said, "All right, I'll do it anyway." He uh, he got the ball at one stage. He was charging into the box, and he was um, it, it, it sort of opened up for this glory shot of goal in his first game back in football. And he was on his wrong foot, and basically he went to shoot. Um, got his legs in and absolutely sliced it so that it didn't even hit the corner flag, went out for a throw-in, and he tore his hamstring in the process of <laughs> this sort of gid- gid- giddy moment of just like, I'm back, I'm back. And uh, we had to stop the game for about 10 minutes, partly to carry him off, but mostly to stop laughing, basically. Uh, <laughs> and and oddly enough, he's not been back on a football fit- pitch since. So, um, yeah, if uh, if ever I need a chuckle, I slightly cruelly think of that moment. (laughs)
0: Uh, I've got a couple from from very um, recent times. Um, a, A few years ago, you might remember Sam Allardyce talking about Nigel Farage, the politician, saying what a big fan of his he was. He said he never wanted to vote again but Nigel Farage might might make him because he thought he was such a great politician. Unfortunately, Big Sam has now found out that due to Brexit, he's unable to sign a few of his uh, major targets for West (laughs) Bromwich Albion this January uh, because they can't get work permits. So, uh, real pleasure uh, for Sam Allardyce there. He's going to give his mate Nigel a ring. I'm sure he'll sort you something out, Sam. And also, Sergio Reguillon, who did an interview in Spain talking about jose Mourinho buying him um a, a, a glazed ham i think it was for christmas because he knew he was going to be alone ha! well <laughs> now we know the truth don't we sergio because he wasn't alone so listen if that's going to happen don't go to the newspapers and have an interview about it and then get photographed on instagram or social media or whatever clearly not alone on christmas day what a fail from sergio um, yeah, I won't call him a idiot, but I'm sure Tony Cascarino would. Um, gentlemen, pleasure to be with you once again on The Game podcast. Matt Dickinson, Gregor Robertson, and Tom Roddy, thank you very much. And As I mentioned, you can read at Tony Cascarino's views on those idiots right now on The Times app. Remember, you can get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times and enjoy more of our award-winning journalism on all of your devices. Sign up today. You'll get yourself one month free. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk Times.co.uk forward slash the game to get started we'll be back on Thursday we'll see you then